Now, of course, you're going to follow along with me in the lesson. So as I say here, during this discussion of the power of positive confession, a number of you have had questions that arose out of different messages. In the past, I have discussed answers to those questions with you on a one-on-one -on -one basis as you presented them to me. But in reality, I know that if one or more persons has a question, it means that many of you probably have the same question. So I'm going to start today, and it won't be every Sunday, but I'm gonna do what Apostle Price does from time to time in his teachings, and if you watch him down through the years, he'll take time and answer one or two questions that had been presented to him during the week after a Sunday message. So I'm gonna do that today. So the question that was presented you have it right there, is what are and who has the keys of the kingdom of heaven? And what is binding and loosing? That should be loosening, by the way. The question came from members out of the point that I made in a recent lesson where I said that as Christian believers, we have the power to act on our own behalf to establish something in our lives or to correct something in our life. One way we can do this is by using the keys to the kingdom that we get from Jesus. Now, my point was that instead of expecting God to do something for us or to correct something in our life, we have the ability to bring about change ourselves by using the power that comes with the keys to the kingdom. Now, let's look at the scripture where Jesus makes this declaration about the keys. It's found in Matthew Chapter 16, verses 18 and 19, and you have that right before you. Here Jesus says this in verse 18. That's Matthew chapter 16, verses 18 and 19. He says, and I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades, or the gates of hell, shall not prevail against it. Verse 19, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom, the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth, will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now, this is a vital lesson for us today to learn how to apply these declarations because they empower us, and I think they're so misunderstood largely because of the traditional teaching on this by the early church, especially the Catholic church, on this particular scripture. But before we get to this, let's consider how the early church regarded these words of Jesus that still causes some confusion among Christians today. Now to do this, we have to go back and put into context the whole setting that led to the declaration by Jesus to Peter. This narrative begins a little bit earlier in Matthew chapter 16 at verses 13 and 17 with the following exchange between Jesus and his disciples. And you're familiar with this, we have taught on this before. In verse 13, this is Matthew 16, 13, when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I am? Oh, I'm sorry, let me read this correctly. Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ the son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, 
Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And then Jesus continues with the verses that we just read on the previous page at verse 18. After he says, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. Bar-Jonah is not his last name. That just means son of Jonah. Bar-Jonah means son of Jonah. Uh, at verse 18, after he says this to Peter, he says, and I will give to you, I'm sorry, and I say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now, this is where the confusion comes in, because these are two vital, empowering tools that Jesus gives us, the believer. But in the early church, and looking at the bottom of the page, principally the Catholic church, uh, verse 18 was interpreted as saying that Jesus would build his church on Peter, that Peter was a rock, because Petros means rock, and he would be building his church on Peter. And that is where they derived the idea that Peter was the foundation of the church of Jesus and also the first pope. It, also, it was also asserted that Peter had been given the keys of the kingdom of heaven, whereby he had the power. And this is important, where he had this, this thinking, where he had the power to admit into heaven whomever he designated and to lock out others as he so determined. When you think about that, you probably know right off the bat that Jesus never gave him that power. But a close examination of these scriptures, but by the way, if you study this, you'll see where that's the misconception that's really taught by some. So a close examination of the scriptures and other sayings of Jesus show that this is not what these scriptures mean. What Jesus is saying here is that he is going to build his church on the solid, and listen to this, on the solid rock of his divinity, the confession by Peter that he, Jesus, is the Christ, the Messiah, the son of a living God. The church is built on the fact that Jesus is the Christ, the son of a living God. The church, which is the body of Christ, could never be built on a single flawed individual, such as Peter, but could only be built on the son of man, Jesus, who was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. And that's in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. Now, the early church speaks of Peter or Petros, which is a Greek word meaning rock, as a foundation of the church of Jesus. But we know that the foundation and rock of Christianity is Jesus himself. Do we not know that? Yes. What's that song? Jesus is the rock of my salvation. Uh, but we know that the foundation and rock of Christianity is Jesus himself and not on the single apostle who was Peter. In point of fact, and I wanted to point this out to you because the word spells this out. All the apostles contributed to the early church foundation. And we're told this in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20. And you have it there, Ephesians 2, 20, which says this. It says, having been built, but I put in parenthesis, it's talking about the household of God, which is right above this. The household of God having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, plural, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Now, in fact, and this is what I mean, how one word led to another. As I prepare this, uh, it got more involved, and I realized I couldn't tell you something without telling you more of it. So, in fact, in the Old Testament, Jesus is foretold as the chief cornerstone that was to be, was to come. 
Psalm 118.22 speaks of the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Remember how Jesus was rejected? But he became the chief cornerstone. And Isaiah 28 verse 16 says this. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, behold, I lay in Zion a stone or foundation, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not act hastily, meaning not act unwisely. Looking back to this scripture in Isaiah that I just read, 1 Peter 2, uh, verse 6 says this. This is 1 Peter uh, chapter 2, verse 6 says this. For this is contained in the scripture. He's looking back to that scripture I just read. It says, Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. So not only is Jesus the chief cornerstone of the church of God, he is in reality the true rock of the church. In a scripture that speaks of the experience of the Israelites and Moses in the wilderness and the emancipation of the Israelites from Egypt, we are reminded of this rock which Jesus is. And you see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4. That's at the bottom of the page. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, which says this. And all, he's talking about the Israelites in the wilderness with Moses, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Jesus Christ is the rock. Now, with respect to the keys that permit or refuse entrance to the kingdom, only Jesus has such keys. He is the divine head and steward of the Father's kingdom. He is the only one who could allow or disallow entrance into that kingdom. It is a major misconception. As I say, if you study this, you will find that this is still advanced by part of the church. It is a major misconception that the power was given to Peter and to assume that he had ever been given that authority to admit or reject people into heaven. Now, speaking of this authority, in Revelations chapter 3, verses 6 and 7, Jesus himself is speaking when he says this. This is Revelations chapter 3, verses 6 and 7. It's at the top of your page on page 4. At verse 6, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Verse 7, and to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write. He's saying that angel should write this. These things says he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David. He's talking about himself. He who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. So the truth of the scripture in Matthew chapter 16, verses 18 and 19, is that Jesus is a rock and foundation of the Father's church, of our church, that is built on the reality of the confession by Peter that Jesus is the Christ. And it is by accepting Jesus, and this is very important for you to remember. We, we, I was asked by several, how do we get the keys of the kingdom? Is it something that we have to do? It's the way we behave. Listen to this next line and read it along with me. And it is by accepting Jesus as the Christ that one is given the key of admittance into the kingdom. Confessing Jesus 
as Lord and Savior, which is confessing him as the Messiah, as the Christ, as the Son of God, you thereby receive the keys of the kingdom. It's not about praying 24 hours a day. It's not about begging. It's not about how much love you express. You're accepting Jesus as Lord and Savior gives you the keys to the kingdom. Now, Jesus gives us other evidence in Scripture of the process by which we enter the kingdom that we already know because we've studied this in the Word. We see this in the exchange between Jesus and Nicodemus. You know the story of Nicodemus and Jesus in uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 3, at verse 3, where uh, Nicodemus makes a comment about him. He says, you must be the Messiah or whatever because no one could do the mighty works that you do and so forth. And they're talking and Jesus says in verse 3, Jesus answered, said to him, Nicodemus, most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You have to be born again in order to see the kingdom. And then in verse 4, Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? In verse 5, Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water, and I put in parenthesis, speaking of the word and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, in this answer to Nicodemus, Jesus is giving him and giving future believers such as we the keys to the kingdom. Simply put, we must all be born again. That is born of the spirit. And, and if we, that is, if, if we are to enter the kingdom, we must be born again and born of the spirit. To be born again, you must do what Peter did in Matthew chapter 16, verse 16, where he acknowledges or confesses that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the son of the living God. Now, Apostle Paul takes from Peter's confession here, where Peter says to Jesus, you are the Christ, to fashion the salvation scripture that we all have recited in terms of being born again. And that scripture is Romans 10, 9, 10, which you hear all the time. It goes back to Peter's confession to Jesus. Romans 9, 10, 10. In verse 9, it says, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Ten, for with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. You have to speak it. Jesus, not Jesus, Peter spoke it when he was responding to the question of Jesus. He, when he says, who do you say that I am? And it says, and Peter said, Peter said out of his mouth, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Now, the key to entering the kingdom is and has always been through Christ Jesus. We are told this in John 14, 6, where Jesus himself says this. And you've heard this before. That's the gospel of John, chapter 14, verse 6, where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Through him means you confess him as Lord and Savior. Confess him as the Christ and so doing that. Now, every believer who confesses Jesus as Lord, as the Christ, has accessed the keys to the kingdom. 
We know that keys are used to lock or unlock doors. The doors here are the doors of or to the kingdom of heaven. Now, let's not overlook something else. And I just put a paragraph here so you don't overlook this. And that is the important role that faith and belief play in unlocking the doors of heaven. As you see in Romans 10, 9, 10, your confession of Jesus must be accompanied with what? Belief and faith in Jesus as the Christ. Without faith, the same keys that open the doors operate to lock the doors of the kingdom. In John 3.18, this is two verses after John 3.16 where he says, And God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, and so on. We're now two verses down from it. Jesus says this, John 3.18, He who believes in him, meaning him, Jesus, is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Now, the bottom of the page, with the keys of the kingdom and the power to bind and loose, Jesus is empowering the believer. That's us. He's putting power in our hands. Initially, Jesus was speaking to Peter when he gave him the keys to the kingdom and the power to bind and loose. We just read those scriptures. We say, we say later that Jesus tells all of his disciples that they have the power to bind and loose. Uh, and we see this in Matthew, uh, and that should be L-O-O-S-E. Hey, we, uh, we see this in Matthew 18, 18, where he says this, Assuredly, I say to you, remember we had read the exchange between Jesus and the disciples and Peter in Matthew 16, 13 through uh, uh, 19. This is now Matthew two chapters over. This is Matthew 18, 18, where Jesus says this to the disciples, assuredly I say to you, meaning to all of you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. What I want you to know today is that all who confess his divinity as the Christ, Jesus gives the keys of the kingdom of heaven so that whatever they bind, that's the person who confesses him as Lord and Savior. Whatever they bind, whatever you bind and loose on earth will be bound and loosed in heaven. This is direct empowerment of the individual believer from Jesus the Christ that does not have to come through any mediator, whether that's a priest or a pastor. He gives it direct. You accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. You're born again. You have the keys and you have the power to bind and loose. And you don't have to get that permission from anybody else. You, you get it when you're born again. It is also a direct call to the individual to use the power to bind and to loose, to shape his life and to shape his life for the good. Now, to understand this empowerment Jesus gives us, we have to remember that his ministry was all about change and empowering the individual. You see this in his principal commands, is, is in, in his instructions and in the examples he gave us. And I've discussed most of those in previous messages. Let's look at this one gift that he gives us that we're talking about today, and that is the power to bind and to loose. That is part of the keys of the kingdom. Now, initially, and some do this, and you can look at this this way. You can look at the binding or loosening based on the individual's acceptance or rejection of the gospel of Jesus. In other words, on the basis of their acceptance or rejection of Jesus as Lord and Savior. 
If you reject the gospel, you remain unsaved and therefore bound. But if you accept the gospel of salvation and become saved, you are loosed as in set free. Now, the reason I give this to you so you can go back and, and, and read this. You don't always, in other words, if you're just listening to me and you don't have this in front of you and you don't get the tape, uh, you, you're not going to get all of this. But if you have this, you can go back and read it. And then if you still have questions, you can ask questions. Now, consider the broader application of binding and loosening. To bind means to prohibit, not allow, or to forbid something uh, from happening. To loose means to allow, to permit, and encourage something. Now, in terms of your life and the circumstances in your life, you can use this Christ-given power to bind such things as a spirit of fear, low esteem, hatred, unhappiness, sadness, poverty, and the attack of the enemy with sickness and disease. Now, at the same time, and I'll, and I'll just show you how you, it's very simple how you do this. You open your mouth and you bind. But anyway, we'll talk about this later. At the same time, you can loose the healing power of the blood that we just sang about and that we just taught about in communion. And you can loose the spirit of strength and power. Remember, we are strong in the Lord and the power of his might. The word says, let the weak say I am strong. You can loose the spirit of strength in your life. You can loose the power of love, the spirit of joy, and the spirit of giving, and the spirit of self-esteem. Now, according to Apostle Price, this ability to bind and loose is the way Jesus puts the ball in our court in terms of changing our lives here on earth for the better. Apostle Price writes this, and I'm quoting, the vast, the vast majority of Christians are experiencing a whipped and defeated lifestyle. This is taken from his book, The Power of Positive Confession. The vast majority of Christians are experiencing a whipped and defeated lifestyle. And, be, and because God does not reach down and supernaturally uh, change it, they think that their situation must be the will of God. They fail to realize, and this is Apostle Price speaking, because they have never, never been taught this, that it is not up to God. It is up to us whether we live defeated or victorious. After making that statement, Apostle Price then cites Matthew 18, 18, which we have read before, where Jesus says, Assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now, in terms of taking responsibility for and taking charge of your life, you need to take note of the word earth, that it comes before the word heaven in each of the statements by Jesus. In other words, what you bind or loose on earth is bound or loose in heaven. This lets you know that it's your choice, that you have something to do with what happens in your life and circumstances. It also means that you have to do something. If you want it bound or loose in heaven, you've got to bind and loose it on earth. Now, what you can do is learn the word and begin to confess the four principles that God wants you to confess that we are now discussing in this message on the power of positive confession. Again, these four principles of facts that God wants you to confess are what we are in Christ, where we are in Christ, what we possess in Christ, what we can do in Christ. Now, you can readily see, just think about this, you can readily see that when you confess these four principles, you are loosening them in your life on earth. And at the same time, loosening them in heaven on your behalf. At the same time, when you confess these positives about yourself, 
you are binding their opposites or the negative characteristics that, they, that might exist in the absence of the positive truth. Now, this is a whole lot of wording, but what it means is that if you confess that I am strong in the Lord, which is what the word says, then you automatically, you're, you're loosening this in your life, but at the same time, you're binding the fact that you're weak. So that's what I mean by you're binding and loosening with, the, with your statement of the word at the same time. You bind the positive word, and at the same time, you loose. I mean, I'm sorry, you, you, you loose the positive word, and you bind the negative effects if you don't say the positive word. So, so you're either strong or you're weak. If you confess that you're strong, then you automatically are eliminating weakness. Now, this last point is an interesting point because the word says what we bind on earth or loose on earth is bound or loose in heaven. But look at the interesting point that I make at the bottom of page seven. And I've said these to you before. Because everything God does is already done, it means that whatever is bound or loose in heaven in terms of time is already done before it's done on earth. You can see this in Young's literal translation of the Bible, the YLT of the Bible. You don't hear uh, so much about this Bible. This, this was translated way back in, in uh, uh, 1862, and it uses the old English. But Matt, but the YLT renders Matthew 16, 19 this way. Look at the top of page 8. Whatever thou mayest loose upon the earth shall be. Stop right there because that's a complete thought. And then, having been bound in the heavens, meaning having been bound in the heavens already. Uh, and whatever thou mayest loose upon the earth shall be, stop there, having been loosed in the heavens, meaning having been bound and loosed already. Because of the time of its translation in 1862, the YLT is written in the old English form of the language. The Amplified Bible, if you have one, you can you find it rendered this way. Amplified Bible renders Matthew 16, 19 this way. Whatever you bind, meaning to, to forbid, declare, to be improper, and unlawful on earth will have, in parenthesis, will have already been bound in heaven. And whatever you loose, meaning whatever you permit, declare, lawful on earth, will have already been loosed in heaven. This is just confirmation of what you have been teaching, what we have been teaching here at Crenshaw Christian Center, uh, New York, which tells you that you already have it. That is, everything you need in life has already been provided by God in Christ Jesus. Now, when it says it's already been done, if it's already been done, why don't you have the effect of it on earth? Because you have to do the part that you have to do on earth. Whatever you bind on earth, whatever you loose on earth, then that which is already bound or loose in heaven will be released to you. But you have to bind it yourself or loose it yourself first on earth. And then what's already done will be released and flow to you. That's what it means. Now, God has already done for you everything that he is going to do. Let me say that again. God has already done for you everything that he is going to do. Because he's given you everything that you need. And I'm going to cite a scripture later where that's actually stated. And you've heard me teach this in, in other lessons. 
Your job is to learn and know what God has done for you already, which is contained in his word, and then believe and confess this word, and God will confirm this word in your life and circumstances. This confirmation by God is simply the process of releasing into your life what he has already done. In other words, it's like it's in a bank. It's stored up. And so when you take certain acts, then God releases what he's already done for you. But if you don't open your mouth and act, then it'll remain stored up. That's why it's so important. That's why the Bible says, draw near to God, and he'll draw near to you. What it means is draw near to his word. Draw near to confessing his word, and then he'll draw near to you. But you have to move. Now, this confirmation by God is simply a process of releasing into your life what he's already done. This is where the keys of the kingdom and binding and loosening take effect. You unlock and gain access to the riches of the kingdom when you confess Jesus as Lord, and you release that which is bound and loose already in heaven for you when you loose and bind these things on earth. Now, why is that true? It's true because, you remember on day seven, God rested. He hasn't done any work since then. Everything was done. The world, the universe was complete. There was nothing undone. So he can't do something for you at the time you do this if it hasn't already been done. It's already done. What you do when you confess it, when you bind or when you loose, you then authorize God to release what he's already done on your behalf. Now, the reason I'm going over this is because I don't know if I've ever heard this taught. Uh, uh, I must have gotten it from somewhere. <laughs> well, it's definitely the Holy Spirit, but I mean, Apostle Price has taught so much of this, and, and I'm sure that by osmosis is nothing else. I picked up some of what he taught. But, so you unlock and gain access to the riches of the kingdom when you confess Jesus is Lord and you release that which is bound and loose already in heaven for you when you loose and bind these things on earth. When you move on earth, heaven moves what has already been done in heaven for you. See, there's nothing to be done. There's a transference that can take place. There's a movement. There's a releasing. But it's already been done. It's not like you bind something and then heaven cooks it up in, in heaven and, and, and then really, it's already done. Again, as I said earlier, Jesus came to bring about change, salvation, redemption, and righteousness in our life, and to empower us to take charge of our lives in the face of any assault of the enemy. Jesus does this by transferring, and this is important, listen to this, Jesus does this by transferring his power to us on earth by commands, by example, and by direct gift. Now, I've taught this before you may not remember it and I can't go over it all in detail now but he transferred his power to us let's look at what is contained in Matthew 28 verse 18 this is Matthew 28 verses 18 the gospel of Matthew verse 28 18 where Jesus says this all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth now whether you realize it or not Jesus has transferred this authority to us the believers if you confess him as Lord and Savior and that he is the Christ, the Son of the living God, that power is transferred to you. Now, where in us 
Do you think this power was transferred? Was it in our heart or in our mind or soul or in our spirit? Actually, it was in none of these locations. This transfer by Jesus was a transfer of power to your mouth, to our mouth. And I, I, I wanted to put it this bluntly so you know. See, uh, I know the scriptures say, as a man thinketh, so is he. And I know that uh, some people think that you can think really hard and, and things will come to pass. Thinking does have a, a, a part to play, but you have to say and confess it if you want to, uh, if you want to, to realize it. Now, this transfer, for, this transfer by Jesus was a transfer of power to our mouth. This is why confessing with the mouth is so important. Remember, Peter's confession to Jesus was by mouth. Jesus tells us in John 3.3 3, that we must be born again to get the keys of the kingdom. To be born again, we must do what? Confess Jesus as Lord, as Peter did, and this confession must be made with the mouth according to Romans 10, 9, 10. Confess with your mouth. Confession is made unto salvation with the mouth. Jesus stresses the importance of what we say or confess and the power of what we say with the mouth in Mark eleven twenty three. Again, another familiar scripture. And this is what Jesus says here in the middle of page nine. For assuredly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. In other words, he's saying, you can't go up to the mountain. Now, he, the mountain could be a mountain of debt. It could be a mountain of fear. It could be a mountain of opposition. It could be a mountain of everybody trying to get that same job at work that you're trying to get and so forth. So it, it, it's, it's symbolic of whatever mountain is in front of you. So forth. It could be a mountain of illness, so forth. But you say to that mountain, be removed. So he doesn't say go up to the mountain and then really think hard. Be removed. No, he says you have to say to the mountain, so on. Now, I pointed out many times before that the power of the mouth and the spoken word emanates first from the example uh, that God gives us, where he spoke the whole world and everything into existence in Genesis. Remember God said, let there be light, and light became. He did this with all of creation. Let there be, let there be. We are further informed about the power of the mouth in Proverbs 18.21, which you hear us talk about all the time. 18.21, you know it by heart. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Where's the tongue? In your mouth. You've got to open your mouth. So that means that you can speak life to your situation or you can speak death to it. And uh, Proverbs 6.2 tells us this teaching us that you have to be careful and circumspect about what you say because you can get trapped by what you say. Proverbs 6.2 says this, you are snared, meaning trapped, by the words of your mouth. You are taken by the words of your mouth. And this means, and, and, you, and you've heard me and, and the other elders give examples, when you say, you know, there's no way that I can ever do this, you're trapped by the words of your mouth. You're also speaking death to the situation. If you say, there's no way I can pass this test. There's no way I can get this promotion. There's no way that I'll ever get a house. There's no way that my kids will ever be able to go to college. If you say this, 
you are trapping yourself. You're setting up the snare for yourself, and you're speaking death to your situation. That's why it's very important what you say. Now, using the mouth to confess Jesus as Savior is the key to obtaining the keys. Repeat that. You should underline that. Using the mouth to confess Jesus as Savior is the key to obtaining the keys. Thus, we'll see that there are two aspects to the keys of the kingdom. Can you imagine all of this came from the questions that people asked about this one scripture? There are two aspects to the keys of the kingdom. One, confessing Jesus as Lord and Savior. This leads to being born again, whereby Jesus gives the believer the keys. And two, exercising the power to bind and loose that is part of the gift of the keys. Because you remember he says, and I give you the keys of the kingdom and whatever. This comes immediately after this, and whatever you bind, whatever you loose, and so forth. The two go hand in hand. Again, the simple fact is that Jesus gives to all believers who confess him as the Christ the keys of the kingdom of heaven, so that whatever the believer binds or loose on earth will be, will be or will have been bound and loosed in heaven. So this is not something special for apostles or for disciples or for priests or pastors or deacons or elders. It's for you if you confess Jesus as Lord. You automatically have the keys of heaven open to you. Now, let's see a, a one example. We have time for this. One example of binding and loosening and operation as it comes to confessing the principles or facts God wants us to confess. This is what we've been teaching here in this message on the power of positive confession. We have been looking at the first fact, which is confessing what we are in Christ. The first thing we learn about what we are in Christ comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 17. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, and you remember this, where it says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Again, we are in Christ when we are born again. Your confession of this fact that you are a new creation serves to loose this reality in your life, and at the same time, it binds the opposite of this condition of newness. The opposite would be that you remain unsaved and bound to sin. You're set free when you confess Jesus as Lord and Savior. That's what being born again is all about. And again, that's your recreated spirit that's born again. That's why it talks about being born of the spirit. Uh, so this is why it's so important to be careful about what you say about yourself because you can either unleash the power of God that is within you by what you lose or you can bind yourself with words of self-doubt, self defeat, and destruction. As Proverbs 18.21 tells us, you can either speak death or life to your life. Now again, all of the positive things God wants us to confess and loose in our life stem from the fact that he has already provided us with everything that we need to live that victorious, overcoming life. And these, again, are provided in and through Christ Jesus. But I'm just going to read you this one all-encompassing scripture that tells us this from 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. That's 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. And you've heard us teach on this before. And, and uh, by the way, it's Peter who is making this point clear to us. He's writing this. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 2 and 4. At 2, 
2 through 4. At 2, it says, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of our Lord and, uh, and, our, and of Jesus our Lord. Now, you will notice throughout the word that wherever grace uh, is sp spoken of, you will really, you'll usually see peace. And they are multiplied. How? They're multiplied in the knowledge of God and of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I like to put it, it's, it's multiplied by the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Now, verse 3, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. How many things? All things. Nothing is left out of all. Things that pertain to life and godliness through, again, the knowledge of him who called us by glory and by virtue. By which we have been given, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Now, our next heading is a simple little statement that I'm sure you heard before. If it's to be, it's up to somebody else. If it's to be, it's up to me. As I said earlier in this message, in giving us, us the believers, his authority, Jesus is empowering us to take charge of our lives. In Luke 10, 19, further authority is given to us, and this is important. This is the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, verse 19, scripture that you're familiar with, but don't always remember. Here, Jesus says, behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions, and over all the power of the enemy. Now, what you should put before over, and authority over all the power of the enemy. In other words, he's given us authority over all the power of the enemy. That's all the power of Satan, any of his demons, any, anything that would come against us. He's given us authority over this power. So, we can bind it in the name of Jesus. So there's no excuse for the believer ever to be afraid of the tricks and attacks of Satan. We just read that Jesus has given us authority over all the power of the enemy. Using your other power to bind and loose, you can bind the power of Satan and his demonic forces from ever interfering with the things in your life, including your family, your job, your health, and your wealth. But you have to take charge. You have to do it. You can just say something as simple as this. Satan, I bind you from having any power or presence in my life and my affairs. And I bind you from interfering in my family, my job, my health, and my money. For it. And you can get more elaborate, but you're speaking it, you're binding it. And for what you want to accomplish in life, so for what you want to accomplish in life, you have the power and the ability that has already been deposited within you. Remember that whole series I did on Within Dependence where we talked about the full Godhead being within you? the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, you have all that power within you. And greater is he that's within you than he that's in the world. You have all that power within you. And as Apostle tells us in the quote at the bottom of page 6, which we, we just quoted, but you can look again, it's the bottom of page 6. It said, it is not up to God, it is up to us whether we live defeated or victorious. So remember and say it. And if you don't take anything from this message, take that little simple statement. Whatever you are dealing with, whatever you're going after, whatever you want to accomplish, 
Just remember, if it's to be, it's up to me.